Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chapter 1 of Tony the Little Woodcarver. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tony the Little Woodcarver by Johanna Sperry, translated by Helen B. Doyle, Chapter 1, At Home in the Little Stone Hut. High up in the Bernese Oberlin, quite a distance above the meadow-encircled hamlet of Kandergrund, stood a little lonely hut under the shadow of an old fir tree. Not far away, rushes down from the wooded heights of rock the wild brook which in times of heavy rains has carried away so many rocks and boulders that when the storms are ended, a ragged mass of stones is left, through which flows a swift, clear stream of water. Therefore, the little dwelling near this brook is called the Stone Hut. Here lives the honest day-worker Tony, who conducted himself well in every farmhouse where he went to work for he was quiet and industrious, punctual at his tasks, and reliable in every way. In his hut at home, he had a young wife and a little boy, who was a joy to both of them. Near the hut, in the little shed, was the goat, the milk of which supplied food for the mother and child, while the father received his board through the week at the farms where he worked from morning until night. Only on Sunday was he at home with his wife and little Tony. The wife, Elsbeth, kept her little house in good order. It was narrow and tiny, but it always looked so clean and cheerful that everyone liked to come into the sunny room, and the father, Tony, was never so happy as when he was at home in the stone hut with his little boy on his knee. For five years the family lived in harmony and undisturbed peace. Although they had no abundance and little worldly goods, they were happy and content. The husband earned enough, so they did not suffer want, and they desired nothing beyond their simple manner of life, 
for they loved each other, and their greatest delight was little Tony. The little boy grew strong and healthy, and with his merry ways delighted his father's heart when he remained at home on Sundays and sweetened all his mother's work on weekdays when his father was away until late in the evening. Little Tony was now four years old and already knew how to be helpful in all sorts of small ways, in the house and the goat shed and also in the field behind the hut. From morning until night he tripped happily behind his mother, for he was as content as the little birds up in the old fir tree. When Saturday night came, the mother scrubbed and cleaned with double energy to finish early, for on that day the father was through his work earlier than other days, and she also went with little Tony by the hand part way to meet him. This was a great delight to the child. He now knew very well how one task followed another in the household. When his mother began to scrub, he jumped around the room with delight and cried out again and again, Now we are going for father! Now we are going for father! Until the moment came when his mother took him by the hand and started along. Saturday evening had come again in the lovely month of May. Outdoors, the birds in the trees were singing merrily, up to the blue sky. Indoors, the mother was cleaning busily in order to get out early into the golden evening. And meanwhile, now outside, now in the house, little Tony was hopping around and shouting, Now we are going for father. It was not long before the work was finished. The mother put on her shawl and tied on her best apron and stepped out of the house. Tony jumped for joy and ran three times around his mother, then seized her hand and shouted once more, Now we are going for father. Then he tripped along beside his mother in the lovely sunny evening. They wandered to the wild brook over the wooden bridge which crosses it and came to the narrow footpath winding up through the flower-laden meadows to the farm where the father worked. The last rays of the setting sun fell across the meadows, and the sound of the evening bells came up from Kandergrun. The mother stood still and folded her hands. Lay your hands together, Tonali, she said. It is the Angelus. The child obeyed. Why must I pray, mother? he asked. Give us and all tired people a blessed Sunday. Amen, said the mother devoutly. Tony Lee repeated the prayer. Suddenly he screamed, Father is coming! Down from the farm, someone was running as fast as he could come. That is not Father, said his mother, and both went toward the running man. When they met, the man stood still and said, gasping, Don't go any farther. Turn around, Elspeth. I came straight to you, for something has happened. Oh, my God, cried the woman, in the greatest anguish. Has something happened to Tony? Yes. He was with the woodcutters, and then he was struck. They have brought him back. He is lying up at the farm, but don't go up there, he added, holding Elspeth fast, for she wanted to start off as soon as she heard the news. Not go up? she asked quickly. I must go to him. I must help him and see about bringing him home. You cannot help him. He is, he is already dead, said the messenger in an unsteady voice. 
Then he turned and ran back again, glad to have the message off his mind. Elsbeth threw herself down on a stone by the way, unable to stand or to walk. She held her apron before her face and burst into weeping and sobbing, so the tonally was distressed and frightened. He pressed close to his mother and began to cry too. It was already dark when Elsbeth finally came to herself and could think of her child. The little one was still sitting beside her on the ground, with both hands pressed to his eyes and sobbing pitifully. His mother lifted him up. Come, Tonali, we must go home. It is late, she said, taking him by the hand. But he resisted. No, no, we must wait for father, he said, and pulled his mother back. Again, she could not keep back the tears. Oh, Tonali, father will come no more, she said, stifling her sobs. He is already enjoying the blessed Sunday we prayed for for the weary. See, the dear Lord has taken him to heaven. It is so beautiful there. He will prefer to stay there. Then we will go too, replied Tonali, starting. Yes, yes, we shall go there too, promised his mother. But now we must first go home to the stone hut. And without a word she went with the little one back to the silent cottage. The proprietor of the Matten Farm sent word to Elspeth the following day that he would do everything necessary for her husband, and so she need not come until it was time for the service, for she would not recognize her husband. He sent her some money in order that she would not have too much care in the next few days, and promised to think of her later on. Elspeth did as he advised and remained at home until the bells of Kandergrun rang for the service. Then she went to accompany her husband to his resting place. Sad and hard days came for Elspeth. She missed her good, kind husband everywhere and felt quite lost without him. Besides, cares came now which she had known little about before, for her husband had had his good daily work, but now she felt sometimes as if she would almost despair. She had nothing but her goat and the little potato field behind the cottage, and from these she had to feed and clothe herself and the little one, and besides furnish rent for the little house. Elspeth had only one consolation, but one that always supported her when pain and care oppressed her. She could pray, and although often in the midst of tears, still always with a firm belief that the dear Lord would hear her supplication. When at night she had put little Tony in his tiny bed, she would kneel down beside him and repeat aloud the old hymn, which now came from the depths of her heart as never before. O God of love, O Father heart, in whom my trust is founded, I know full well how good thou art, even when in grief I am wounded. O Lord, surely cannot be that thou wilt let me languish in hopeless depths of misery, and live in tears of anguish. O Lord, my soul yearns for thine aid, in this dark vale of weeping. For thee I've waited, hoped, and prayed, assured by thy safe keeping. Lord, let me bear whate'er thy love may send of grief or sorrow, until thou, in thy heaven above, make dawn a brighter morrow. 
In the midst of her urgent praying, the mother's tears flowed abundantly, and little Tony, deeply moved in his heart by his mother's weeping and earnest prayer, kept his hands folded and wept softly too. So the time passed. Elspeth struggled along, and little Tony was able to help her in many ways, for he was now seven years old. He was his mother's only joy, and she was able to take delight in him, for he was obedient and willing to do everything she desired. He had always been so inseparable from his mother that he knew exactly how the tasks of the day had to be done, and he desired nothing but to help her whenever he could. If she was working in the little field, he squatted beside her, pulled out the weeds and threw the stones across the path. If his mother was taking the goat out of the shed so that she could nibble the grass around the hut, he went with her step by step, for his mother had told him he must watch her so that she would not run away. If his mother was sitting in winter by her spinning wheel, he sat the whole time beside her, mending his winter socks with strong strips of cloth, as she had taught him to do. He had no greater wish than to see his mother happy and contented. His greatest pleasure was, when Sunday came and she was resting from all work, to sit with her on the little wooden bench in the front of the house and listen as she told him about his father and talk with her about all kinds of things. But now the time had come for Tony to go to school. It was very hard for him to leave his mother and remain away from her so much. The long way down to Kandergrun and back again took so much time that Tony was hardly ever with his mother any more through the day, but only in the evening. Indeed, he always came home so quickly that she could hardly believe it possible, for he looked forward with pleasure all day long to getting home again. He lost no time with his schoolmates, but ran immediately away from them as soon as his school was over. He was not accustomed to the ways of the other boys, since he had been constantly alone with his quietly working mother, and used to performing definite tasks continually without any noise. So it was altogether strange to him, and he took no pleasure in it when the boys coming out of the schoolhouse set up a great screaming one running after another, trying to see which was the stronger, and throwing one another on the ground, or wrestling so that their caps were thrown far away and their jackets half torn off. The wrestlers would often call to him, Come and play, and when he ran away from them, they would call after him, You are a coward. But this made little difference to him. He didn't hear it long, for he ran with all his might in order to be at home again with his mother. Now a new interest for him arose in the school. He had seen beautiful animals drawn on white sheets, which the children of the upper grades copied. He quickly tried to draw them, too, with his pencil, and at home continued drawing the animals again and again as long as he had a bit of paper. Then he cut out the animals and tried to make them stand on the table, but this he could not do. Then suddenly the thought came to him, if they were made of wood, they could stand. He began quickly with his knife to cut around on a little piece of wood until there was a body and four legs. But the wood was not large enough for the neck and the head, so he had to take another piece and calculate from the beginning how high it must be 
and where the head must be placed. So Tony cut away with much perseverance until he succeeded in making something like a goat and could show it with great satisfaction to his mother. She was much delighted at his skill and said, You are surely going to be a woodcarver and a very good one. From that time on, Tony looked at every little piece of wood that came in his way to see if it would be good for carving, and if so, he would quickly put it away so that he often brought home all his pockets full of these pieces, which he then collected like treasures into a pile and spent every free moment carving them. Thus the years passed by. Although Elspeth always had many cares, she experienced only joy in her little Tony. He still clung to her with the same love, helped her in every way as well as he could, and spent his life beside her entirely at his quiet occupation, in which he gradually acquired a quite gratifying skill. Tony was never so content as when he was sitting in the little stone hut with his carving, and his mother came in and out happily employed, always saying a kindly word to him, and finally sat down beside him at her spinning wheel. This is the end of chapter one. Chapter two of Tony the Little Woodcarver. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tony the Little Woodcarver by Johanna Spirey, translated by Helen B. Doyle. Chapter 2. A Hard Sentence Tony was twelve years old in the winter, and now his school days were over, and the time had come to look about for some kind of work which would bring him in some money, and by which he could learn something necessary for future years. Spring had come, and work had begun in the fields, his mother thought it would be best to ask the proprietor of the matin farm if he had some light work for Tony. But every time she spoke about it, he would say beseechingly, Oh, mother, don't do that. Let me be a woodcarver. She would have had no objection to this, but knew no way to bring it about. And she had known the farmer up on the matin farm ever since her husband had worked there, and ever since his death, from time to time, he had sent her a little wood or meal. She hoped that he would employ Tony at first for light tasks in the field, so he would gradually learn to do the heavier work. So on Saturday night, after the day's work was ended, and she sat down with Tony to their scanty supper, she said once more, Tony, now we must take a decided step. I think it best for me to go up to the Matten farm tomorrow. Oh, mother, don't do that, said Tony quite beseechingly. Don't go to the farmer. If you will only let me be a woodcarver, I will work so hard that I will earn enough, and you will not have to do so much, and then I can stay at home with you. Besides, you would be all alone, and I cannot bear it if I have to be always away from you. Please let me stay with you. Don't send me away, mother. Oh, you good Tony, said his mother. What wouldn't I give to be able to keep you always with me? But that really cannot be. I know of no way for you to be a woodcarver. Someone would have to teach you, and when you had learned, how should we sell the carvings? You would have to know people and go about, 
or else your work wouldn't bring any money. If only I could talk with someone who could give me good advice. Don't you know anyone, mother, you can ask? said Tony anxiously, and racked his brain to think of someone. His mother, too, began to consider. I think I will go to the pastor, who has already given me advice, said his mother, delighted to have found a way out of the difficulty. Tony was quite happy, and now was determined that early the next morning they should go down to the church, and then his mother could go in to see the pastor, and Tony would wait outside. Everything was carried out on Sunday morning, as they had planned. His mother had put two of the little carved animals in her pocket to show the pastor as examples of her boy's good ability. The pastor received her very cordially, had her sit down beside him, and inquired with interest about her affairs, for he knew Elspeth and how bravely she had helped herself through all the hard times. She told him now the whole story, how Tony, from a very early age, had worked at the carving with so much interest and now wished for nothing so much as to carry on this work, but how she knew of no way for him to learn, nor how later the work could be sold. Finally, she showed him the two little animals as examples of Tony's skill. The pastor replied to the mother that the plan would be very difficult to carry out. Although the two little goats were not badly carved, yet in order to perform the work right and to earn his bread by it, Tony would have to first learn from a good carver, because making only little animals or boxes would not amount to anything or bring in any money, and he would only be wasting his time. However, down in the village of Frutigen, there was a very skillful, well-known woodcarver who made wonderful large works which went far into the world, even to America. He carved whole groups of animals on high rocks, chamois and eagles and whole mountains with the herdsmen and the cows. Elspeth could talk with this carver. If Tony studied with him, he could help him to sell the finished work, for he had ways open for it. Elspeth left the pastor with gratitude and new hope in her heart. In front of the house, Tony was waiting with great suspense. She had to tell him at once everything the pastor had said, and when she finally related about the wood carver in Frutigen, Tony suddenly stood still and said, Then come, mother, let us go to the place at once. However, his mother had not thought it over. She had made many objections, but Tony begged so earnestly that she finally said, You must go home first and have something to eat, for it is very far away, but we can do that quickly and then start off again right away. So they hurried back to the house, took a little bread and milk, and started on their way again. They had several hours to travel, but Tony was so busy with his plans and thoughts for the future, the time flew like a dream, and he looked up in great surprise when his mother said, See, there is the church tower of Frutigen. They were soon standing in front of the woodcarver's house and learned from the children before the door that their father was at home. Inside, in the large, wainscoted room, sat the woodcarver with his wife at the table looking at a large book of beautiful colored pictures of animals which he would be able to get good use of in his handicraft. When the two arrived, he welcomed them and invited them to come and be seated on the wooden bench where he and his wife were sitting, and which ran along the wall along the entire room. Elspeth accepted the invitation 
and immediately began to tell the woodcarver why she had come and what she so much desired of him. Meanwhile, Tony stood as if rooted to the floor and stared motionless at a single spot. In front of him, next to the wall, was a glass case, in which could be seen two high rocks carved out of wood. On one was standing a chamois with her little ones. They had such dainty, slender legs, and their fine heads set so very naturally on their necks that it seemed as if they were all alive and not at all made of wood. And on the other rock stood a hunter, his gun hanging by his side, and his hat, with even a feather in it, sat on his head, all so finely carved that one would think it must be a real hat and a real little feather, yet it was all of wood. Next to the hunter stood his dog, and it seemed as if he would even wag his tail. Tony was like one enchanted and hardly breathed. When his mother finished speaking, the woodcarver said it seemed to him as if she thought the affair would half go of itself, but it was not so. If a thing is to be done right, it cost much time and patience to learn. He was not adverse to taking the boy, for it seemed to him that he had a desire to learn, but she would have to pay for his board for a couple of months in Frutigen, besides paying for his instruction, which would be as much as his board, and she herself must know whether she could spend so much on the boy. On the other hand, he would promise that the boy would be taught right, and she could see there in the glass what he could learn to do. At first, Elspeth was so disappointed and dismayed she was unable to speak a word. Now she knew it would be absolutely impossible for her to fulfill her boy's greatest wish. The necessary expense of board and instruction was beyond anything she could manage, so much so that it was quite out of the question. It was all over with Tony's plans. She rose and thanked the woodcarver for his willingness to take the boy, but she would have to decline his offer. Then she beckoned to Tony, whose eyes were still so fastened to the glass case that he paid no attention. She took him by the hand and led him quietly out of the door. Outside, Tony said, drawing a deep breath, Did you see what was in the case? Mother, did you see it? Yes, yes, I saw it, Tony, replied his mother with a sigh. But did you hear what the woodcarver said? Tony had heard nothing. All his mind had been directed to one point. No, I didn't hear anything. When can I go? he asked longingly. Oh, it is not possible, Tony. But don't take it so to heart. See, I can't do it, although I would like to so much, declared his mother. But everything would come to more than I earn in a year. And you know how hard I have to work to manage to make the two ends meet. It was a hard blow for Tony. All his hopes for many years lay destroyed before him. But he knew how his mother worked, how little good she herself had, and how she always tried to give him a little pleasure when she could. He said not a word, and silently swallowed his rising tears. But he was very much grieved that all his hopes were over, since for the first time he had seen what wonderful things could be made out of a piece of wood. This is the end of chapter 2.
Chapter 3 of Tony the Little Woodcarver by Johanna Spirey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 Up in the Mountains. The next morning, the farmer on the Matten farm sent word to Elspeth to come up to see him toward evening, as he had something to talk with her about. At the right time, she set aside her hoe tied on a clean apron and said finish the hoeing tony then you can milk the goat and give her some fresh straw so she will have a better bed then i will be back again she went up to the matten farm the farmer was standing in an open barn door gazing with satisfaction at his beautiful cows wandering in a long procession to the well elsbeth stepped up to him well i'm glad you have come he said holding out his hand to her. I've been thinking about you on account of the boy's welfare. He is now at an age to do some light work and help you a little, at least to take care of himself. I've already been thinking about that, replied Elspeth, and wanted to ask you if you could give him a little light work in the fields. That is fortunate, continued the farmer. I have a little job for him, healthy and not very hard, that is to say, not hard at all. He can go up the small mountain with the cows. The herdsman with his boys is on the big mountain, and a man is also there to come every morning and evening for the milking. So the boy will not be entirely alone, and will have nothing to do but watch the cows so that none wander off, that they don't hook each other, or do anything out of the way. While he sits there on the mountain, he is master and can have all the milk he wants. A king couldn't have anything better. Elspeth was a little frightened by the offer. If Tony had been more with the farm men, or had been with cows, or if he had naturally a different disposition, wilder and more roving and commanding, but as he was so quiet and shy, and besides without any knowledge of such things, to be for the first time all alone for several months away from home up on a mountain watching a herd of cows this seemed to her too hard for tony what would the poor boy who was not particularly strong do if anything happened to him or to the herd she expressed all her thoughts to the farmer but it made no difference he thought it would be good for the boy to get out for once and up on the mountain he would be much stronger than at home and nothing could happen to him, for he would be given a horn, and if anything went wrong, he could blow lustily, and immediately the farm man would come from the other mountain. In a half hour, he would be there. Elspeth finally thought the farmer understood it much better than she, and so it was decided that the next week, when the cows went up the mountain pasture, Tony should go with them. He shall have a good bit of money and a new suit of clothes when he comes down. That will be a help for the winter, said the farmer finally. Elspeth thanked him as she said goodbye and turned homeward. Tony was at first opposed to this when he heard that he would be away so long without being able to come home a single time. But his mother explained to him how easy the work would be, and he would grow stronger up there, so as to be able to do better things later on and that the matin farmer would give him a new suit and a good bit of money as pay. So Tony objected no longer, but said he would be glad to do something and not let his mother work alone. 
Then it occurred to Elspeth that if Tony was going to be away the whole summer, she could perhaps go to one of the big hotels in Interlaken, where so many strangers go for the summer. There she could earn a good sum of money and meet the coming winter without anxiety. She was already known in Interlaken, for she had served as a chambermaid in one of the hotels for several summers before her marriage. When the day came for the big herd of cows to be taken up the mountain pasture, Tony's mother gave him his little bundle and said, Go now in God's name. Don't forget to pray. When the day begins, and when it ends, and the dear Lord will not forget you, and his protection is better than that of men. So Tony started off with this little bundle behind the herd up the mountain. Immediately after this, Elspeth closed her cottage. She took the goat up to the mountain farm. When the farmer heard that she was going to Interlaken, he promised her to take the goat and thought when Elspeth came home again, she would give twice as much milk, and what he made from her, he would give back to Elspeth in cheese. Then she started down to Interlaken. The herd had already been climbing the mountain for several hours. The herdsman turned off to the left with the big herd, and the man went with Tony up toward the right, followed by the smaller herd, which consisted of fewer cows but many young cattle, for not many cows could be kept on the small mountain passage, because the milk had to be carried across to the big one where the herdsman's hut stood. They now reached the highest point of the pasture. There stood a little hut. All around there was nothing but pasture, not a tree, not a bush. In the hut on one side was a narrow seat fastened to a wall in front of which stood a table. On the other side stood a bed of hay. In the corner was a little round stool, and on this was a wooden jug. Tony and the man stepped inside. The latter placed on the floor a big wooden milk pail, which he had brought up on his back, took out of it a round loaf of bread and a huge piece of cheese, made both on the table and said, Of course you have a knife, to which Tony assented. Then the man took the wooden jug, swung the milk pail on his back, and went out. Tony followed him. The man lifted a wooden basin out of the big pail, seated himself on a little round stool which he brought out of the hut and began to milk one cow after another. If one was too far away, he would call out, Drive her here, and Tony obeyed. When the basin was full, he poured it into the big pail and silently went on until all the cows had been milked. At the last, the man filled the jug with milk, handed it to Tony, took the pail on his back, the basin in his hand, and saying good night, went down the mountain. Then Tony was all alone. He put his jug of milk in the hut and came out again. He looked around on every side. He looked over to the big mountain, but between there and his pasture was a wide valley, so one had to descend in order to climb up to the big one. But all around both pastures, great dark masses of mountains looked down, some rocky, gray, and jagged, others covered with snow, all reaching up to the sky so high and mighty, and with such different peaks and horns, and some with such broad backs, that it almost seemed to Tony as if they were enormous giants, each one having his own face and looking down at him. It was a clear evening. 
The mountain opposite was shining in the golden evening light, and now a little star came into sight above the dark mountains and looked down at Tony in such a friendly way that it cheered him very much. He thought of his mother, where she was now, and how she was in the habit of standing with him at this time in front of little cottage and talking so pleasantly. Then suddenly there came over him such a feeling of loneliness that he ran into the hut, threw himself down on the cot, buried his face in the hay and sobbed softly until the weariness of the day overcame him and he fell asleep. The bright morning lured him out early. The man was already outside. He milked the cows, spoke not a word, and went away. Now a long, long day followed. It was perfectly still all around. The cows grazed and laid down around in the sun-baked pasture. Tony went into the hut two or three times, drank some milk, ate some bread and cheese. Then he came out again, sat down on the ground, and carved on a piece of wood he had in his pocket. For although he no longer dared to cherish the hope of becoming a woodcarver, yet he could not help carving for himself as well as he could. At last it was evening again. The man came and went. He said not a word, and Tony had nothing to say either. Thus passed one day after another. They were all so long, so long. In the evening, when it began to grow dark, it always seemed terrible to Tony, for then the high mountains looked so black and threatening, as if they would suddenly do him some harm. Then he would rush back into the hut and crawl into his bed of hay. Many days had passed like this, one exactly the same as the other. The sun had always shone in a cloudless sky. Always at evening, the friendly little star had gleamed above the dark mountain. But one afternoon, thick gray clouds began to chase one another across the sky. Now and then blinding lightning flashed, and suddenly frightful thunderbolts sounded, which echoed roaring from the mountains, as if they were twice as many, and then a terrible storm broke. It was as dark as night. The rain beat against the hut, and meanwhile the thunder rolled with fearful reverberations through the mountains. Quivering lightning lighted up the black, frightful giant forms, which seemed quite specter-like to come nearer and look down menacingly. The cattle ran together in alarm and bellowed loudly, and great birds of prey flapped around with piercing shrieks. Tony had long since fled into the hut, but the lightning showed him the frightful forms, and it seemed every minute as if the rolling thunder would overthrow the hut to the ground. Tony was so alarmed he could hardly breathe. He climbed up on the table, expecting every minute that the hut would fall and crush him. The storm lasted for hours, and the man never came over. It was now really night, but still the blinding lightning flashed and new peals of thunder rolled and the storm howled and raged as if it would sweep the hut away. Tony stood half the night stiff with fright, clinging to the table and with no thought, only a feeling of a frightful power which was crushing everything. How he reached his bed he did not know. But in the morning he laid stretched out across the hay, so exhausted he could hardly rise. He looked anxiously out of the window. 
How must it look outside after such a night? Then he went out to see about the cows. The ground was still wet, but the animals were peacefully grazing. The sky was gray, and thick black clouds were passing over it. Gloomy and frightful, the high mountains stood there. They had come so near and looked more threatening than ever at Tony. He ran back into the hut. More days of thunderstorms followed, one after another, and if the sun came out in between, it burned unbearably, and new storms followed so unceasingly and violent that the herdsman on the other mountain often said that he had not known such a summer for years. If it didn't change, he wouldn't make half as much butter as the former summers, because the cows gave no milk, as they didn't like the fodder. During this time, the manservant chose the most favorable time to come over to the small pasture, milk the cows as quickly as possible, and didn't look after the boy at all. Only now and then, when he thought Tony had no more milk, he would bring the jug out quickly, fill it, and put it back again. Then he often saw Tony sitting on his bed of hay and would call out in passing, You are lazy. But then he ran right away in order to get back without being wet. And did not trouble himself further about the boy. So June passed, and already a good part of July. The thunderstorms had become less frequent, but thick fog often so enveloped the mountains that one could hardly see two steps away, and only here and there a black head appeared, looking gloomily through the mist. The cows often wandered so far that the man found some of them between the two mountains and brought them up again. This would not do. He called up to the boy, but received no answer. He ran to the hut and went in. Tony, crouched in the corner, was sitting on his bed and staring straight before him. Why don't you look after the cows? asked the man. He received no answer. Can't you speak? What's the matter with you? No answer. Then the man looked for the bread and cheese to see if Tony had eaten everything and was suffering from hunger. But more than half the bread was there, and the larger part of the cheese. Tony had taken almost nothing but milk. What is the matter with you then? Are you sick? asked the man again. Tony gave no answer. He seemed not to hear anything, and stared so motionless before him that the man was quite alarmed. He ran out of the hut. He told the herdsmen how it was with the boy, and they decided that when one of the herdsmen's boys went down with the butter, he must tell the maddened farmer about it. Another week passed. Then the news was brought to the farmer. He thought the boy would be happy again, that the heavy thunderstorms had only frightened him a little. But he sent word for the herdsman to go over. He had boys of his own, and would understand better about this than the hired man. If anything was wrong with Tony, he must be brought down. Some days later, the herdsman really went over with one of his boys and found Tony still crouched in the corner, just as the man had seen him. Tony made no sound to anything the herdsman said to him, did not move, and kept staring always before him. He must go down, said the herdsman to his boy. Go with him right away, but take care that nothing happens to him, and be good to him. The boy is to be pitied. And he looked at Tony with sympathy, for the herdsman had a good heart, and took delight in his own three big, healthy boys. The one he had with them was a strong, sturdy fellow of sixteen. He went up to Tony and told him to stand up, but Tony did not move. 
Then the lad took him under his arms, lifted him up like a feather, then swung him on his back, held him firmly with both hands, and went with his little light burden down the mountain. When the matin farmer saw Tony in such a sad condition, which remained just the same, he was alarmed, for he had not expected such a thing. He did not know at all what to do with the boy. His mother was far away, no relatives were there, and he himself did not want to keep Tony while in this condition. He could take such a responsibility, but he did not want to do so. Suddenly a good thought came to him, the same as the people there in every difficulty, in every need, in every trouble. Always have first of all. Take him to the pasture, he said to the herdsman's boy. He will have some good advice to give, which will help. The lad immediately started off and went to the pastor, who allowed the boy to tell him as much as he knew about the details of the case, how Tony came to be in this condition, and how long it had lasted. But the lad knew very little about it at all. The pastor first tried every means to make Tony speak, and asked him if he would like to go to his mother, but it was all in vain. Tony did not give the least sign of understanding or interest. Then the pastor sat down, wrote a letter, and said to the herdsman's boy, Go back to the Madden farm and tell the farmer to harness his little carriage and send it to me, and then I will see that Tony goes today to burn. He is very sick. Say that to the farmer. The farmer harnessed immediately, glad that further responsibility was taken from him and he had only to carry Tony as far as the railway. But the pastor sent down to his sexton, an older, kindly man who had given him a helping hand for years in many matters of responsibility. He was commissioned to take Tony with all care to the great sanitarium in Bern and give the letter to the doctor there, a good friend of the pastor's. A half hour later, an open carriage with the high seat drove up in front of the pastor's house. The sexton climbed up placed the sick boy beside him, held him carefully but firmly, and thus Tony drove out into the world with a horse for the first time in his life, but he sat there with no sign of interest. It was as if he were no longer conscious of the outside world. This is the end of chapter three. Chapter 4 of Tony the Little Woodcarver by Johanna Spirey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 In the Sanitarium The doctor of the sanitarium was sitting with his family around the family table, engaged in merry conversation on various subjects. Even the lady from Geneva, who spent several hours a day with the family, seemed to-day a little infected by the children's gaiety. She had never before taken so lively a part in the discussion which the school children carried on about different interests. This lady's beloved and gifted son had died not long before. On this account she had fallen into such a deep sadness that her health had suffered greatly, and therefore she had been brought to the sanitarium to recover. The animated conversation was suddenly interrupted by a letter which was handed to the doctor. A letter from an old friend who is sending me a patient to the sanitarium. He is a young boy, hardly as old as our Max. There, read it. 
whereupon the doctor handed the letter to his wife oh the dear boy exclaimed his wife is he here bring him in perhaps it will do him good to see the children i think he's quite near said the doctor he went out and soon came in again with the sexton and tony he led the former into a bay window and began talking to him in a low tone meanwhile the doctor's wife drew near to tony who on entering had pressed into the nearest corner she spoke kindly to him and invited him to come to the table and eat something with her children tony did not move then lively little marie jumped down from her chair and came to tony with a large piece of bread and butter here take a bite she said encouragingly tony remained motionless see you must do so and the little girl bit a good piece from the bread and held it to him then again a little nearer so he only needed to bite into it but he stared in front of him and made no motion this silent resistance frightened marie and she drew back quietly then the doctor came took tony by the hand and went out followed by the sexton poor tony's appearance had made a great impression on the children they had become perfectly quiet later when they had gone to bed and the two women were sitting alone together the doctor came back again in reply to their urgent questions he informed them about all that the sexton had told him concerning tony's illness and his life with his mother and that no one had ever noticed anything wrong with the boy before only that he had always been a quiet gentle child and more slenderly built than any of the other village children women asked how he had come into this condition in the summer on the beautiful mountain and the doctor explained that it was not so strange if one knew how terrible the thunderstorms were up on the mountain besides he concluded a delicate child such as this boy all alone without a human being near for whole weeks even months long without hearing a word spoken might well be so terrified through fear and horror in the awful loneliness that he would become wholly benumbed then the lady from geneva who took an unusual interest in poor tony's fate exclaimed in great excitement how can a mother allow such a thing to happen to her child it is wholly inconceivable quite incomprehensible you really have no idea replied the doctor soothingly what poor mothers are obliged to let happen to their children but don't believe that it caused them less pain than others you see how many suffer that we know nothing about and how hard poverty oppresses will you be able to help the poor young boy asked the lady from geneva if i can only bring out the right emotion in him he replied so that the spell which holds him imprisoned can be broken now everything in him is numb and lifeless oh do help him do help him begged the sick lady imploringly oh if i could do something for him and she walked to and fro thinking about a way to help for tony's condition went deeply to her heart it was the second week of august when tony came to the sanitarium day after day week after week passed and the doctor could only bring the same sad news to the two women who every day awaited his report with great anxiety not the slightest change was noticed every means was tried to amuse the boy to see if he would perhaps laugh 
other attempts were devised to disturb him to make him cry they performed all kinds of tricks to attract his attention all all were in vain no trace of interest or motion was aroused in tony if he could only be made to laugh or to cry once repeated the doctor over and over again when he had been four weeks in the sanitarium all hope disappeared for the doctor had exhausted every means now i will try one thing more he said one morning to his wife i have written to my friend the pastor and asked him if the boy was very much attached to his mother and if so to send for her right away perhaps to see her again would make an impression on him the two women looked forward with great suspense to elspeth's arrival in the first week of september the last guests left the hotel in interlaken where elspeth had spent the summer she immediately started on her way home for she wanted to get everything in order before tony came down from the mountain she never thought but that he was still up there and had no suspicion of all that had happened when she reached home she went at once to the matin farm to inquire for tony and to bring the goat home the farmer was very friendly and thought her goat was now by far one of the finest because she had had good fodder so long but when elspeth asked after her tony he broke off abruptly and said he had so much to do she must go to the pasture for he would have the best knowledge about the boy it immediately seemed to elspeth that it was a little strange for the pasture to know best what happened up on the mountain and while she was leading home the goat and thinking about the matter a feeling of anxiety came over her and grew stronger and stronger as soon as she reached home she quickly tied the goat without going into the cottage at all and ran back the same way she had come down again to kendergrund the pastor told with great consideration how tony had not borne the life of the mountain very well and they had been obliged to bring him down and since it seemed best for him that he should go at once to a good physician for the right care it sent the boy immediately to burn his mother was very much shocked and wanted to travel the next day to see for herself if her child was very ill but the pastor said that would not do but that she should wait until the doctor allowed a visit and she could be sure that tony was receiving the best care with a heavy heart elspeth went back to her cottage she could do nothing but leave it all to the dear lord who alone had been her trust for so many years but it was only a few days later when the pastor sent her word that she was to go to burn at once as the doctor wished her to come early the next day elspeth started about noon she reached burn and soon was standing in front of the door of the sanitarium she was led to the doctor's living room and was here received with great friendliness by his wife and with still keener sympathy by the lady from geneva who had so lived in the history of poor tony and his mother that she could hardly think of anything else but how to help these two she had had only the one child and could so well understand the mother's trouble she had even asked the doctor to allow her to be present when he took the boy to his mother in order to share in the joy if the poor boy's delight at seeing her again would affect him as they hoped soon the doctor appeared and after he had prepared the mother not to expect tony to speak at the first moment he brought him in he led him by the hand into the room 
Then he let go and stepped to one side. The mother ran to her Tony and tried to seize his hand. He drew back and pressed into the corner, staring into vacancy. The women and the doctor exchanged sad looks. His mother went to him and caressed him. Tonally, tonally, she said again and again in a tender voice. Don't you know me? Don't you know your mother any more? As always before, Tony pressed against the wall, making no motion, and stared before him. In tender tones, the mother continued mournfully, Oh, Tonally, just say a single word. Only look at me once, Tonally. Don't you hear me? Tonally remained unmoved. Still, once again, the mother looked at him, full of tenderness, but only met his staring eyes. It was too much for poor Elspeth that the only possession she had on earth, and the one she loved with all her heart, her Tony, should be lost to her, and in such a sad way. She forgot everything around her. She fell on her knees beside her child, and while the tears were bursting from her eyes, she poured out aloud the sorrow in her heart. O oh God of love, O oh Father heart, in whom my trust is founded, I know full well how good thou art, even when by grief I am wounded. O oh Lord, it surely cannot be that thou wilt let me languish in hopeless depths of misery and live in tears of anguish. Tony's eyes took on a different expression. He looked at his mother. She did not see him and went on imploring in the midst of her tears. O oh Lord, my soul yearns for thine aid in this dark veil of weeping. For thee I have waited, hoped, and prayed, assured of thy safe keeping. Suddenly, Tony threw himself on his mother and sobbed aloud. She threw her arms around him, and her tears of sorrow turned to loud sobs of joy. The child sobbed aloud also. It is one, said the doctor in great delight to the women who, deeply moved, were looking on at the mother and boy. Then the doctor opened the door to the next room and beckoned Elspeth to go in there with Tony. He thought it would be good for both to be alone for a while. In there, after a while, Tony began to talk quite naturally with his mother and asked her, Are we going home, mother, to the stone hut? Shan't I have to go up to the mountain any more? and she quieted him and said she would now take him right home, and they would stay there together. Soon all Tony's thoughts came back quite clearly, and after all he said, But I must earn something, mother. Don't trouble about that now, said Elspeth quietly. The dear Lord will show away when it is time. Then they began to talk about the goat, how pretty and fat she had grown, and Tony gradually became quite lively. After an hour, the doctor brought them both into the living room back to the ladies. Tony was entirely changed. His eyes now had an earnest but quite different expression. The lady from Geneva was indescribably delighted. She sat down beside him at once, and he had to tell her how he had been to school and what he had liked to study. But the doctor beckoned Elspeth to come to him. "'Listen, my good woman,' he began. The words you had repeated made a deep, penetrating impression on the boy's heart. Did he know the hymn already? Oh, my lord, exclaimed Elspeth, 
many hundred times i have repeated it beside his little bed when he was very small often with many tears and he would weep too when he didn't know why he wept because you wept he suffered because you suffered said the doctor now i understand how he was aroused by these words with such impressions at early childhood it is no wonder he became a quiet and reserved boy this explains to me much in the past then the lady from ellsworth came up for she wanted to talk with the mother my dear good woman he certainly must not go up on the mountain again he is not fit for it she said in great eagerness we must find something different for him has he no taste for some other occupation but it must be light for he is not strong and needs care oh yes he has a great desire to learn something said his mother from a little boy he has wished for it but i hardly dared mention it there there my good woman tell me right away about it said the lady encouragingly expecting something unheard of he wants so much to be a woodcarver and has a good deal of talent for it but the cost of board and instruction together is more than eighty francs is that all exclaimed the lady with greatest surprise is that all come my boy and she ran to tony again would you really like to become a woodcarver better than anything else the joy which shone in tony's eyes when he answered that he would showed the lady what she had to do she had such a longing to help tony that she wanted to act immediately that very hour would you like to learn at once go to a teacher right away she asked him tony gladly replied that he would but now came a new thought she turned to the doctor perhaps he ought to recover his health first the doctor replied that he had already been thinking about that the mother had told him that she knew a good master up in Frutigen. now i think he went on to say that carving is not a strenuous work and one of the most important things for tony is to have for some time good nourishing food in Frutigen there is a very good inn if he only could i would undertake that doctor i will undertake that interrupted the lady i will go with him we will start to-morrow in Frutigen i will provide for tony's board and lodging and for everything he needs in her great delight the lady shook hands with both the mother and the boy repeatedly and went out to instruct her maid about preparations for the journey when the mother with her boy had been taken to their room the doctor said with great delight to his wife we have two recoveries our lady is also cured a new interest has come to her and you will see she will have a new life in providing for this young boy this has been a beautiful day on the following morning the journey was made to frutigen and the little company was so glad and happy together that they reached there before they were aware of it at the woodcarver's the lady was told everything that would be needed for the work and after he had shown them all kinds of instruments he thought a fine book with good pictures from which one could work would be useful after the lady had charged him to teach tony everything in any way necessary for the future they went to the end here the lady engaged in a good room with a comfortable bed and for herself arranged with the host a bill of fare for every day in the week the host promised with many bows to follow everything exactly 
for he saw very well with whom he had to deal. Then Tony and his mother had to eat with the lady in the inn, and during the meal she had much more to say. She was going now, she said, the next day home to Geneva, where there were large shops in which nothing was sold but carvings. There she would immediately arrange for Tony to send all his articles, so he could begin to work with fresh zeal. Moreover, she insisted that Tony should remain not two but three months with the carver, so that he could learn everything from the foundation. He could go from here to visit his mother on Sundays, or she could come to him. Elspeth and Tony were so full of gratitude they could find no words to express it, but the lady understood them nevertheless and bore home a happy heart such as she had not had for a long time. It came about just as the doctor had foreseen. The lady, who had not been able to think any more about her home, now desired to return to Geneva. She had so many plans to carry out there that she could hardly wait for the day when she was to go back. The doctor was delighted to consent to her going soon. Tony, who had hardly begun with his new teacher, applied himself with so much zeal and skill to his work that the carver said to his wife on the fourth week, "'If he goes on like this, he will learn to do better than I can.'" The three months had come to an end, and Christmas was drawing near. One morning Tony waded through the deep snow up to his home. He looked round and fresh, and his heart was so happy he had to sing aloud as he came along. But when, after a long walk, he suddenly saw the stone hut with the fir tree thickly covered with snow behind it, tears of joy came to his eyes. He was coming home, home for all time. He ran to the little house, and his mother, who had already seen him, hurried out, and which one of them was the most delighted no one could tell. But they were both so happy as they sat together again in the cottage they could think of no greater fortune on earth. Their highest wish was fulfilled. Tony was a woodcarver, and could carry on his work at home with his mother. And with what blessings besides, the dear Lord was still overwhelming them. From Geneva, such good things kept coming to Elspeth that she no longer had to dread anxious days, and with each package came new assurance of the ready acceptance of Tony's work. Such a Christmas festival as was celebrated two days later in the stone hut neither Elspeth nor Tony had ever known before, for the candles which his mother had lighted shone out upon a quantity of things which Tony had received to wear, and also a whole set of the most beautiful knives for carving, and a book with pictures of a size and beauty such as Tony had never in all his life seen before. His master's book was a mere child's toy beside it. Elspeth, too, was lovingly provided for. The lady from Geneva had planned everything, and the bright reflection of it fell back radiantly into her own heart. The most beautiful deer and huntsman and the wonderful eagles on the rock standing in the high show window in geneva was carved by tony and was considered by him to be a particularly successful piece so it went not to the dealer in geneva but to the lady for whom tony preserved a grateful heart all his life long
This is the end of Tony the Little Woodcarver by Johanna Spirey, translated by Helen B. Doyle. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.